Welcome back, everybody, to a very special episode of the Hop Nation USA podcast. This is episode 233. That's the highest number we've had yet. I am one of your hosts, Adam. Steve hey. is here, too. Happy to be here, I'm sure. Yep, I'm always here in the passenger seat, hanging out, ready to talk beer. And if you have not figured it out, we are on Zoom this week, uh, so... We are reaching outside of our usual Pittsburgh area, and we are going nationwide. Uh, Like I said, we have a very special episode, and we are going to talk turkey, and we're going to talk beer. Uh, We have a special guest here. We have Greg Dunkling. He is the director of business of Craft Beer, which is a fantastic title. And uh, I'm gunning for your job, just so you know. I'm going to put that right out front at the University of Vermont. uh, Go Catamounts. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, we'll be talking to Greg throughout the episode as far as what he actually does at the University of Vermont, as well as just getting to know him better. But uh, he, he, like Adam already said, he's the director of the Business of Craft Beer, which is a program for people looking to get into the business of craft beer. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but it, it's a good program for anybody who wants to learn the actual business side as compared to just, you know, fermenting the product. Uh, but speaking of fermenting the product, we're all drinking beers tonight. So let's start off with the first beer everybody's drinking. And Greg, you're our guest. So go on and go ahead first. What are you drinking? Um, well, I am drinking, uh, it's called the Renegade Red Ale, and uh, guess where it might be from? <laughs> <laughs> Michigan. <It's, laughs> well, that's a good guess, but uh, Dublin City Brewing in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, very uh, nice. This coming year, I'm uh, in a few months, I'm going to be traveling to both uh, Ireland and to Portugal, and I'm going to visit some craft breweries in both of those locations. So, Interesting. I'm, Sampling some of their products now. So I, I saw in the video, did that have an all black can with a red label as well? Uh, yeah, it's a black can and it has uh, just a red uh, wrapper uh, label on it. Yeah. That is very cool looking. I don't think I've ever seen a combination like that before. <laughs> yeah, those, uh, those all black cans have been popping up every now and then. We had mm-hmm. uh, one that was part of the uh, Barrel and Flow Festival from revolution but yeah it was another one that was an all black can that had a uh, it, it was the the label was done by a comic book artist so it was mm. a wrap that way but gotcha. yeah i'm wondering where all these all black cans are popping up from especially when we're supposed sure. to be we're supposed to be having scarcity aren't we <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they're they're, they're around <laughs> yeah that's true maybe that was the only ones left it, my my theory has always been that they were repurposed monster cans so <laughs> <laughs> Until proven otherwise, I support that theory. Mm-hmm. Adam, what are you drinking? So I am uh, I am sticking around here in the local area for right now. This is the Daisy by 11th Hour. This is an Italian-style Pilsner. Uh, apparently an Italian-style Pilsner is something I've never had before. Uh, apparently it is supposed to be a little bit more hoppy than a, a classic Pilsner. I mean, it looks just like one. 
it's got a nice, nice clarity to it. Nice, you know, it's straw look to it. When I first poured it out, had a nice head what, to it. What, what, why are you lying to the audience? How do you figure, old top? Um, because didn't you have the insurrection one that's named after a fish song? Was that an Italian pilsner? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, your memory's <laughs> better than mine. So apparently I have had this before. My memory is excellent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did not know that. I just thought that was a regular old pills. No, I believe that is meant to mimic an Italian style pilsner. Oh, okay. Well, this one, the Daisy by 11th hour is excellent. This is a, a good, easy drinker. It does have a good, you know, maltiness to it, but it's got a little pop of a hop. I believe it had, oh, what was the hop that was in it? The, the middle fruit. So okay. Nice, you know, classic German hop. Yeah, it's a good drinker. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you are right, though, that Italian Pilsners are meant to be just a little bit hoppier. And they just have a little bit extra spice on them. Mm-hmm. But, How about you, Steve? What do you got going on? I am outside of PA because I'm doing some cleanup work since we're not having a <laughs> we're, we're not an in-person show this week. I, I can do some cleanup work in the fridge. And I am drinking something from Wisconsin. Mm. I have the uh, New Glarus Moon Man, which is a pale oh. ale. Yeah. Straight on down the middle pale ale. It's good stuff. I mean, I mean, it's called the No Coast Pale Ale, which, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> Makes sense. Every, everybody had their own style. But yeah, it is very clean all the way through, like you would expect from a West Coast style. But it is more um, like it, it just a little bit darker and it's a little bit sweeter as well. So is that I assume that's one of the ones that got mule back to us a month or two ago? Yes, you are yes. exactly correct. That does come from our good friend, Michael Keener. <laughs> yes. So I, I noticed that you saved that for yourself. Yeah, it's a pale ale. Why would you want that? <laughs> you are correct. It's too many hops for you. The, but yeah. well, you know what, Adam? Honestly, it actually, I don't think this one would have been too too many hops for you. Because no, it, no it's, it's very like, it's very sweet and clean drinking. Hmm, so okay. this is, this is even like softer. It's an even softer touch than say like the pseudo Sue. So it sounds like there might be a bit of an overlap between your beer and mine. Yes, they're very close, I believe. Okay, <laughs> all right. Yours, yours is lagered and mine is not, and that might be the difference. <laughs> but As long as everybody's enjoying their beer, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. So with that, though, we're going to get into talking to Greg about what he has going on in Vermont, even though we have beers from all over the place that aren't Vermont. <laughs> just just to refocus our audience and let them know where we're talking. But uh, just to start out, you have been in the beer like world for a while. Uh, I, I read a little article that said you had gotten your start in the eighties as a home brewer, as a lot of people have, uh, where did that lead you to getting into the academics of beer? Well, that was a long, long journey. <laughs> um, yeah, we, uh, we had a pretty active, uh, home, home brewing group out of Montpelier and Burlington, Vermont. And so, um, a number of us got started there, uh, and we hooked up with um, Greg Noonan, who, of course, um, uh, started the first uh, group pub in the state of Vermont and was an ambassador for not only the state of Vermont, but uh, for the industry as a whole. And um, 
So uh, fast forward a few years, and um, I actually was working with a group to put a brewery in the Caribbean. And Ooh. so I went hopping around island to island looking for the best location. And uh, we came very close uh, to pulling it off. But then geopolitics got in our way and our investors had to walk away from it. Um, so uh, that, that great idea didn't materialize. Um, but I had long had this idea of, of uh, you know, the industry, uh, when we first started conversations about this program, we were under 3,000 breweries, but we uh, anticipated that the industry was going to continue to grow. Um, and of course it did. Um, and I reached out to Alan Newman, who was just leaving Magic Cat Brewery, and he and I had a, a number of conversations about starting essentially a, a uh, business school for brewery startups. Um, you know, one one effort was to try to help people, you know, who had a passion for beer but didn't necessarily have any experience in the beer industry, or for that matter, maybe maybe not in business at all. So um, we also were concerned that a lot of people were going to uh, open breweries and not have um, the wherewithal or the proper planning to be successful. And the last thing the craft beer industry needed, or any, any industry needs is that a lot of openings, a lot of closures. So, um, so that was really, uh, you know, the idea behind it. Um, Alan ended up getting uh, an opportunity to go open breweries uh, with, uh, with Jim Cook. And so he went off and did that. And I started the program at the University of Vermont and built a team of people around the U.S. and Canada. Um, you, you notice on our website that we've got a, a Incredible team out of uh, Vancouver, First Key Consulting, uh, big consultings in the in the craft beer sector, who uh, play a prominent role in our program. Uh, two of our courses are taught by by um, their their staff. So we built the program, and uh, you know it keeps evolving and changing uh, over time. But uh, um, I think something in the order of six hundred people have gone through it, and lots of breweries have have opened and. You know, I'm not going to claim credit for, uh, for because they went through our program, they opened, but hopefully we help them be successful in what they, what they're doing. And hopefully they, they, you just help them be better businesses. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we talk about from time to time on the show is kind of like the evolution of the boom of craft beer. And it, it, it always starts with obviously that that kickoff in the late 80s or the late 70s early 80s when home brewing is legalized and you kind of have we we see it as eras of like there's that one boom of you know the 80s to the 90s where you get like flying dog and trogues things that we know uh then like the 2000s to 2010 which is when like adam and i would have been in college and like that's when we started getting you know exposed to breweries that are opening up then uh things you know like uh i'm trying to think who maybe like a stone in that time and then you know post-college is when people our age would have started opening breweries so <laughs> and then we see that boom again come around like the 2013 2014 15 which is where like a lot of the things that are open in pittsburgh now are very mm -hmm. popular is do you see it as just like happenstance or like a coincidence or was it more planned that your course became available in 2015 as a lot of these breweries started hitting the scene? I think it was a, a happenstance. It was just a coincidence. Our, our timing wasn't uh, 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't totally planned because, uh, you know, Howard and I had a couple of years of conversation. Uh, he was figuring out what he was going to do. I was trying to figure out, um, you know, the best way to launch a program like this. So, um, but I think we, we hit it at the right time. Um, luckily for us, uh, and, uh, you know, it took off uh, right from, from, right from the get go. Um, uh, we, we actually, in the last couple of years, we, we, we had an uptick again because people were were bored out of their gills sitting home, and uh, you know whether it's a partner or the dog or or their work or whatever it is, they wanted to find some other activity to engage them. And so we had lots of conversations with people who said, "Hey, I've had this idea of starting a brewery. I can't think of a better time to put you know the next six months or a year to to, to the effort of figuring out whether I want to really really truly do this." So. So we ended up having a you know an increase in particip participation in our program right at a time when the industry was being really challenged, of course. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think that's cool too, though. But like it, it, it makes a lot of sense that this is something that's available for people now and would still want to try to make that transition because, like you said, past two years have caused a lot of people to rethink what they're doing with their lives and you know whether or not they want to pursue their dreams and i think the other thing we're seeing a lot of is those breweries that opened you know in 2013 now have staff members that are transferring on to start their own breweries while the other ones stay uh, we have a number that are launching you know very shortly or have launched like old thunder necromancer and oh coven is the one that's coming down to the north you know we have people that have left breweries that are still currently breweries but now they've learned enough and want to start their own business so yeah it's cool that this is a resource that is out there for a lot of people uh can you tell us more about like what the course actually entails yeah there there are five courses um uh there you you select three to finish the certificate um but people um customize their courses based on their prior experience. You know, if they've come from a marketing or finance or brewing background, um, they might have a different need than somebody who, you know, has a different kind of uh, background and experience. So initially we started the program, we required people to start with a particular course. And we finally moved away from that and said, hey, you know, everyone, everyone come, who's coming into our program comes from a different, you know, background. So why not let them choose what, what's most appropriate? So we have a marketing and branding course. Um, and today, you know, that's focusing a lot on market research, which when we start our program, you could you could throw a dart at a, at a map in your city and, or state. And no, no matter where it hit, you, you could open a brewery <laughs> and you're just fine. But uh, today, the, the, the saturation in some markets has gotten to the point where you better do some, you know, basic market research, um, it, you know, uh, so anyway, I can go into more detail around that. Um, uh, we have a finance uh, course uh, and we, we emphasize a lot brewery finance. We just find that that's uh, one of the weak uh, aspects of people who get into the industry and we have a, a 27 member advisory board um, and breweries across the country. And that's what they told us is that focus on finance. We have um, uh, a digital marketing and social media. You know, it's really on the promotion side, obviously. We have a brewery sales and distribution course, and then we have um, uh, brewery operations. Um, and, and the operations is, is, you know, the intention here is not to, uh, as, you, as you indicate, it's not about 
brewing beer or making developing recipes. But people who were starting breweries, breweries needed to know how to size breweries. They needed to know enough about the whole operation of a brewery to be able to support the team that's there. Um, so that's kind of the purpose of that, that course. Awesome. So with the, with the courses, obviously it's better if you have a certain level of experience with brewing and things like that, but is there any requirement to, to have any prior experience in breweries or in the brewing world at all to take these courses? No, it's not. Um, uh, our, our assumption is, is that um, people are going to open a brewery and build a team of people. And uh, the person who's opening the brewery or the, the two or three people opening the brewery may have a mix of, of experience. They may end up hiring, as sometimes happens, a, uh, an experienced brewer. Um, so they're, they're, they're focusing, again, on building a strong business plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really not so much about um, them, you know, the individual taking the course, having knowledge of brewing, although, you know, truthfully, 90% of the people are home brewers. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> There's a reason they want to get into the business. Yeah, they keep saying, I have this passion for craft beer. And I said, all right, well, passion's important, but it's not sufficient. So let's get to work here. Passion doesn't keep the lights on. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to jump back a little bit, you were talking about doing market research before opening and you're essentially alluding to like the number of options that are out there nowadays. You know, we're seeing a lot more, um, things like the, the athletic focused, low calorie beers. Uh, Mm -hmm. there are non-alcoholics, there's gluten-free. We have a gluten-free brewery here in Pittsburgh. Everybody knows Orox. So is this course meant to help people understand like those varieties, or is it also something that like, if you wanted to open a cidery or a meadery or even a seltzery, if that's a thing, <laughs> yeah, is that something that this course could be applied to all of those? Yeah, I think it's, it's applicable to all of those. Uh, there's a little nuance uh, difference of, of course. Um, but, but essentially it's the same concept of building a business around uh, a product. It doesn't have to be alcoholic, uh, Certainly, the non-alcoholic products are, are, are coming on uh, today, and uh, not not only beer, but uh, hot water and hot tea and <laughs> other products like that, which which is great. It's it's a. I think from you know what we're seeing is that breweries that embrace uh, creativity and bringing different products uh, in in their tap rooms, they only attract uh, more people. Um, you may have a friend or or a partner that. Um, uh, that doesn't drink beer, but they would love to come into the brewery with you if there's something there for them. And so, um, you know, I've encouraged some of the uh, breweries in Vermont to pursue seltzers, and some of them have. Uh, others have chosen not to, uh, just as a you know way to diversify uh, the products that they offer. I should tell you though, I should tell you, I'm sitting here in Salem, Massachusetts, right now. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I now live here. We, we just uh, moved here a year ago because of family mm-hmm. and uh, down the road from us is Notch Brewery and their, their entire focus of course is, is a uh, low ABV uh, products. Mm-hmm. So they're, um, they're tap, they're tapping into that, that market. Yeah. Uh, I, on my other podcast, uh, which is a horror movie fo- focused uh, Halloween is forever. Uh, it's, I co-host with, um, uh, Brian Reed, who's a master Cicerone, pretty much every other episode is him drinking something from Notch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was going on about like I think he was, I think this week he was on the twelve Play-Doh. So, <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, we're very, we're very aware of Notch Brewing, and you know, for uh, also for other reasons because of the uh, the whole rat magnet, uh, yes, uh, correlation with uh, the the brewery end. But yeah, uh, that's a that's a nice place up in there in that New England area. But I think Pittsburgh does okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as your program you've mentioned how you have like a pedigree of people who helped you start the program but also you have people that work within the program as well and they come as guest speakers uh is there anybody the guests the students can expect as guest speakers especially for like the upcoming 2022 you know it, it varies a lot um based on um uh instructors uh contacts and uh, we don't want to overtax some people but you know bart watson has often been a guest in our our marketing and branding course um you know we have um people from the distributor side you know lester jones um has been been on but you know we mix it up with in terms of the size of the breweries that they're associated with you know everything from from the cfo of harpoon to uh Creature Comforts um, CEO Chris Heron was was involved. Uh, we have uh, Three Floyds, uh, Danny Hoyler, uh, uh, Rob Burns from uh, from Night Shift. But we we have uh, really small breweries that you probably may you may know, but a lot of people may not know of them, and they're all over the country. Um, so we try to we try to keep in people who 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 really had lots of experience in the industry and who can share their insights uh, for our students, but also people who are opening really small, you know, nano breweries. And that, that is, tends to be our audience more so than the people coming in with millions of dollars to open a brewery and thinking of themselves as the next, uh, you know, night shift or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so, so it gives the students something, someone that they can look to as something to achieve, but also people that you can, what to expect um, yeah, from your side. It, Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a great, it's like this, it's a, this kind of environment where people, the students can ask uh, lots of questions. Um, you know, the instructors kind of tee up the, uh, the uh, uh, discussion for the evening, but then the students hop in with questions. Do they get to talk about their beer as well? Hold up their glass to the camera and everything? <laughs> you know, it's very funny because they don't use their webcams as much as I would like them to. They, <laughs> they, they, they use the chat feature, which is like, come on, folks. <laughs> now we're talking here, you know, we're not talking traditional college age students. We're talking about people, you know, generally, you know, 30 and up. And mm -hmm. we have, we also have, uh, we were VA approved. So we have lots of people coming back from military service who are looking at their next career. Oh, um, very cool. So, so we have lots of folks, you know, from all walks of life who are, who are thinking about, you know, this is something that I can actually pull off. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, like, uh, obviously marketing is something that is like constantly in flux. Is that something that just kind of ch uh, changes year to year as you do the course and just find the best person who's like geared to talk about that? Or is that something that, you know, it has like a firmer foundation? Well, the two people who sort of anchor our marketing and branding course um, is, is Joel Houston um, from from First Key Consulting and Mike Kallenberger, who writes a lot um, that you, you probably know or know of him. Um, those two have been in the industry. They they follow it very closely. That's their that's what they do. Um, uh, so they sort of you know uh, 
eat and breathe and drink uh, marketing a beer. Um, so they bring in guest speakers. Um, they bring in various people. You know, they're the ones that invite, for example, Bart Watson often to come in and give his view of the industry and where it is and where it's heading. That's the core uh, for that marketing and branding. And, and of course, I, you know, they're, they're not so much on the tactical side, they're much more on the market research side. You know, if you're thinking about build, building a business plan to open a brewery, how does your brewery with 10 other breweries in your town compete? You know, how do you differentiate yourself? What is it that you're going to do that's different uh, to build a business plan that's going to stand a chance of being successful? So they take people through a whole market research process. And, you know, some people come at it with, this is what I like to drink. This is what I'm going to produce. And other people come at it with, yeah, okay, but I'm also going to pay attention to what the market has and what, what the market might need. And, you know, sometimes these days it's not always about the beer. It's about the atmosphere that you create uh, in your brewery, mm -hmm. um, you know. And so, so it's, it's all of that, putting it all together. And then part of that is branding, you know, how do you brand yourself effectively so that people, when they think of your brewery, they really, they have this image of what you're all about. Awesome. Awesome. So with, with that in mind, with, with the, the five courses that you have, uh, obviously from 2015 to now, everyone has, you know, kind of evolved a little bit, a little bit here and there, but uh, is the marketing course, the one that has evolved the most, or are there others that have evolved uh, greatly as well? Uh, just based on time and, you know, the world changing and, and dynamics yeah. changing as well. Oh, they've all changed quite a bit over time because we're, you know, nine years into this now. And, uh, um, you know, distribution and sales, for example, you know, initially we talked about how do you how do you basically interview and select uh, a distributor? Well, then we moved away from that more towards hey, you maybe you should be self distributing for a period of time and and learning the market and representing your your own brewery and then you know, slowly bringing on a distributor when you need to, you know, so that was sort of the evolution of distribution. And, uh, you know, so, so things change, um, you know, brewery finance, uh, certainly the metrics are probably better now than they've ever been, you know, in terms of enough breweries, we have two, two instructors who teach with us who have just incredible experience working with small breweries. So hundreds of breweries, so they can draw on that to really understand, by looking at your books right away, what looks good, what looks off, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and guide you in the right direction. But, um, yeah, we're always tweaking our courses and always trying to improve them and, uh, and updating them. We have to always update them. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if, it, if it's the same course, it's just going to get stale and then essentially not be as useful as it could be. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, why don't you just go ahead and tell everybody where they can actually find the program and, uh, when the next one starts, so, so, you know, people listening can actually go sign up if they really, really, <laughs> I, I know, there's got to be at least one person listening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, ready for the uh, take that step. <laughs> these, these courses run throughout the year. So there's no, we're not like a college uh, fall, spring semester kind of uh, format. Um, we have courses running all the time, pretty much. Um, so if they go to uh, go.uvm.edu slash beer they will find us. They're also uh, on Twitter, just at uh, UVM Craft Beer. Um, you can also get to our to our website. Um, we're on Facebook at UVM Business of Craft Beer and on Instagram, Craft Beer underscore uh, UVM. 
so all of those places will get you to our homepage and, and information on the program. Cool. Cool. Uh, well, let's come back to the craft beers that we're drinking currently. I mean, Adam, I assume yours is actually empty. <laughs> it is, actually isn't. I've been kind of, oh. well, to be honest, I've been kind of enthralled with the conversation. <laughs> You're not paying so attention I, to your beer. So I haven't been, I haven't been paying attention to my beer. You're right. Uh. But uh, I still enjoy it. I mean, it's still a good beer, mm-hmm. just a lot less of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we've said this before on the show, but here locally, 11th hour is underrepresented on our show they make good beer and this is another good one yeah i like it yeah 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 yes to all of those <laughs> yeah but uh an italian pilsner which apparently i have had before you have <laughs> you know I, I i feel that if you have somebody who likes you know the the blue collar type beers you know your macros and you want to try to push them into the craft arena this would be a good one to use the to pull them to the correct side mm-hmm yeah, it is definitely just a more flavorful Pilsner. And mm-hmm. that, you know, that's a good thing. So it is. Yeah. Myself, I'm still drinking the new Glarus Moon Man. It is a no coast pale ale. It's fantastic beer. It's new Glarus. What would you expect from a new Glarus? <laughs> <laughs> In other news, water is wet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not shooting any like amazing reviews this week. I'm I'm cleaning out my fridge because like have a little bit of a backlog going. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. No, no hot takes on this one. No, no. But uh yeah, eh, good beer. Enjoy it a lot. Greg, finish us out. How about your beer? Uh I don't know if you can see the color of it, but it's a nice ruby red uh um, almost looks like wine if you're certain light. Um, yeah, it's a great, it's a nice aftertaste. Uh, it, it leaves your mouth uh, feeling with this really pleasant uh, uh, taste afterwards and it stays with you. So uh, first time I had it was a couple nights ago. Um, so I'm actually lying about, uh, I, I should say, <laughs> I should say that I, <laughs> it, it, it's not a dry uh, uh, January, but it's a drier uh, January. <laughs> <laughs> everything in moderation including moderation right (laughs) yeah awesome oh well we're going to take a little break and then we'll be back and we'll talk a little bit more about the course but then we're also just going to get to learn about greg and hopefully he can tell us about uh the vermont beers and you know the vermont brew scene i think we all kind of know one of them at least (laughs) (laughs) which one's that one steve yeah (laughs) um but also uh you, you mentioned the the portuguese brewing scene and that you're you'll be going there so i want to ask a little bit about that as well because i think we have no concept of that here so <laughs> i would like to i'd like to know more about like what they do like do they have any specific styles do you know what's their scene like so yeah uh, we're gonna come back with that in just a minute first sip brew box is a one-of-a-kind subscription service for craft beer lovers based right here in pittsburgh Every month, First Sip will send you a box full of craft beer enthusiast essentials, including t-shirts, glassware, and even food. Right now, our friends at First Sip Brew Box have an offer for you. Just sign up for a three-month subscription and get your fourth month free. Just enter the code HOPUSA when you sign up at firstsipbrewbox.com. That's H-O-P-U-S-A at checkout to get your fourth month free at firstsipbrewbox.com. Welcome back to our still very special episode of the Hop Nation USA podcast. It's still Adam. It's still Steve. It's still Greg. We're talking beer. It's fantastic. Won't you join us? <laughs> you know, when you're in the second segment, it'd be kind of weird <laughs> to, to ask people to join us. 
<laughs> you know, you got to You got to pump them up again. A little. <laughs> yes. Their, their 30 second ad really took them out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, well you, you know, that's always a good place to kind of pause, go to the bathroom. Yeah. You know, we always get new beer. Maybe the listeners getting a new beer, too. Sure. Sure. I don't I know. They, I hope they I, did. I'm not. You know, I'm not in their office. I'm not in their living room. Yeah, it's so, same thing. Same thing nowadays. Office, same yeah, room, same thing. It absolutely is. <laughs> but uh, even if it was 30 seconds or 30 minutes, welcome back. Yeah, I, I hope they did get a new beer because I got a new beer for sure. You sound fairly excited about it, Steve. Would you like to go first this time? I mean, more or less excited, but yeah, I'll go first. So okay. the, the beer that I have brought to the show now is something that I don't think we've necessarily featured on the show in the past, but we did okay. get, we did get some nice social media engagement from it in the past. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. That looks very familiar from the Instagram. Yeah. It's a, it's something also like I wrote like a minor, like piece on back in the day, but it's the stone boot mm-hmm. stout. But this is the 2021 version of the Stone Boot Stout. For those of you who don't know, it's a it, it, it's a big giant stout that was brewed in collaboration with uh, Drew Curtis of Fark and Will Wheaton of and, Star Trek. Yeah, and <laughs> and Stone. So yeah, you know, of Stone. Yeah, it's a it's a big nerd stout that is a uh, it's 11 and a half percent. I had two sitting in my fridge because I got them cheap. Uh, <laughs> but it. it Somebody got swindled. Yes. Take that giant eagle. <laughs> Good thing your office is in your living room. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's where my office is. <laughs> Greg, I am a freelancer, so my office is wherever I want it to be. And it's also anytime I want to drink time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the beer is, you know, it's with pecans, wheat and rye, and it's uh, one quarter aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, the I'm label. curious what they mean by one quarter aged. Is it co- aged for a quarter? Yeah, I imagine. Or it's, okay. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, a quarter of the batch was barreled. Could be that too. I don't or know. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's a quarter of the time aged. I, I, you know what? Good question. Don't know. <laughs> don't we'll, care. We'll tag, yeah, we'll, we'll tag Drew Curtis or something on that. Yeah, he's, he's talked to us before the last time we featured this beer. So Yeah, we'll get, we'll get him again. Sure. Uh, and uh, the, the, the label art is actually by a comic book artist, uh, Tom Rainey. And so he's, he's done art for the X-Men and Batman. And so now he's done this comic book art that looks like something from the 90s. So anybody recognizes the 90s eras of comics where everybody was an armored <laughs> gargoyle. <laughs> everybody kind of looked like Silver Surfer. This looks like the uh, the '90s Batman after uh, after Batman has his bat broken and uh, Gene Paul Valley takes over for your bit of nerd. I know this is not for you, Adam. It's for the audience. <laughs> I know you're not that much of a nerd. It's not for you. Well, not that much of a comic book nerd. Yeah, <laughs> this is, de- but it definitely looks like Nightfall Batman. That's all. Moving on, Adam. Okay, <laughs> you just had to get that out. Uh huh. So, Greg, how about you? Uh, you uh, still sipping on the the Portuguese? Yeah. I'm sorry, the Irish beer, or you have something new going? No, I'm still working my uh, my Irish red ale. Yes, excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Drinking it slowly, enjoying it, letting it warm up the temperature. That's right. Yes. Uh, for myself, uh, I actually am going to Michigan. Uh, this is Bell's Bright White. 
can't really see because it's very hard to read, but it's a Belgian inspired wheat ale. I need to get back into wheat ales more and more. I've always enjoyed them, but I've kind of steered away from them for a bit. So I need to steer back into it. Yeah. I mean, it's another good beer from Bell's. Looks like a wheat beer. It's got a little bit of cloudiness on it. Like once again, had a decent head when it got poured out first. Just a good, just a good drinker. You know, it's nothing of particular note. And that's what I like about it. So it's not, it doesn't lean too hard into like an orange or a coriander flavor. No, not particularly. I mean, okay. it's got a, you know, a little bit of a, a sweetness to it. Like you would expect with the wheat, but it's not, you know, it's not like a full blown banana happy or anything like that. Again, what you would expect. But yeah, it's just a good kind of sweet down the middle. Quick, compare it to Allagash White. <laughs> Allagash White is better. Okay. <laughs> That's what, I mean, you can say that. Nobody's going to get mad that you said that. <laughs> what are they going to do? Fire me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired. How dare you say Allagash White is better than anything ever? <laughs> oh, no, my credibility. <laughs> uh Cool. Well, we're going to jump right back in with Greg. Uh, I want to touch a couple more things about the course. And then, like I said, we're going to talk about you know, your, your travels as they come up. And then we'll just, we also just want to get to learn you, you know, a little bit better. So, but uh, just a couple things back on the course. Um, one of the things that I, I think is the most confusing, the most impossible thing about opening a brewery, especially coming from a Pennsylvanian standpoint is all the legalities. <laughs> Uh, I, I know it's not, I know it's not a full part of the course, but it, it, do you provide like legal resources for people as they go through the course? Yeah, we do. Um, we, we initially early on had a, a component, a legal component. And what we discovered was that people early in the development of their business plans were not ready for that. Mm -hmm. That sort of comes later in the process. And uh, depending on which state you're in, the legal requirements are different. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, we have we have uh, some great resources. Uh, uh, one gentleman uh, who's worked with us for a number of years is uh, is actually the uh, head of the uh, Mississippi uh, Guild and uh, was recognized by the Brewers Association some, I don't know, four or five years back. We gave him an award for defense of the industry. So anyway, we, we, yeah, we have great resources for, for people who are interested in, in figuring out that maze of complex laws that, that they often want to hire somebody to do and not necessarily <laughs> learn it themselves, but you can do it either way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know just for like a lot of smaller people, they don't necessarily have the ability to hire, you know, or straight out the box and yep, just yep. Need, like, there's a lot of red tape again. This is very PA specific, but there's a lot of red tape for opening yeah. something in our in our mm -hmm. state. It so. seems like every time we've talked with a brewery that's going to open, you know, they give us one date. We expect to be open in eight weeks. And then <laughs> yeah. 22 <laughs> weeks later, they finally open through no fault of their own. They yeah. just, you yeah. know, all the bureaucracy and red tape they had to cut their way through. They finally sure. got to open. It's yeah. the fault of their own optimism, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it, it, it's it's cool that you have that component. And then, like another component, I noticed about the course, which I thought I thought was pretty cool, is that you do have a partnership with the Cicerone program, That's and cool. you you offer you know almost like a package deal. People can go through the level one or level two, you know, as they yeah. go through your certification program as well. Yes, that's right. 
Yeah, initially the first year, year and a half of the program, we had our own component, uh, but we realized quickly that, you know, why are we trying to compete with Cicerone? You know, so, <laughs> um, why, why don't we team up with them? And so we had conversations and it, it worked out just fine. And, you know, we think that anybody who is in marketing and sales and is an owner, co-owner of a brewery, whatever their role is, they're behind the bar, whatever, whatever their role is, they ought to know a whole lot about beer. And uh, the Cicerone pro- program is obviously geared for that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I just thought that was a cool thing too. But <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's all I had to wrap up about the course. It, I didn't think it was like the two most important points in the world, but I thought they were just interesting things to touch on. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, they're important to somebody. Yeah, they're important. Yeah, it, yeah I mean, it's a, it's a it's another way you know to help you know people who understand everything they could get from the program. It's just, you know, I yeah. think the real upfront stuff is like, yeah, you get to learn the business. Like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not about fermentation. It's not about that. It's about, you know, actually getting your feet down and you know, yeah. knowing how to run a business and which is really important because I know one of the major gripes and maybe this is something you can add to the course. Can you please tell breweries to stop having info at yeah, or beer at info.com as their <laughs> website. <laughs> you, they never answer those emails. <laughs> those are terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. teach, teach them to stop doing that. <laughs> Adam, did you have anything else about the course that you wanted to ask? No, I want to talk Vermont beer. Okay, then okay. let's talk Vermont beer. <laughs> All right. So uh, you, know, you mentioned how you got your start in the eighties and you, you, uh, you were close with Mr. Noonan. So, like, what was your home brewing like? What, what was that scene like? Because it's not something you know yeah. we we completely understand. We were we're a little too young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, sourcing uh, sourcing ingredients was a bit of a challenge from time to time. Uh, and fortunately, there was a cottage industry that developed that helped us obtain you know decent quality products. And then uh, you know it was pretty rudimentary uh, brewing process. Um, I think my my uh, my daughter, when she was three years old, was barely walking around the house, and she would take off the very plastic cap to the carboy and smell it and go, "Oh boy!" <laughs> <laughs> so so the the beer was not in the cellar; it was not in the garage; it was in my house. And uh, and uh, uh, at one point, I think my my wife uh, encouraged me to stop brewing because I had lots of grains in the, in the basement and, uh, the mice discovered them and loved them. <laughs> so, so anyway, and then there was so much beer uh, everywhere after a certain point that I kind of, you know, what's the point of this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I had, we had a great story of a friend of mine and I were, but this was like in 81. Um, we were wanting to make, uh, a, a Pilsner Urquell. And we sourced saws, hops, and uh, we were all excited about it. And, you know, like a lot of us back then, we had the secret recipe. We discovered it someplace, you know. <laughs> you know, who knows where these secret recipes came from. <laughs> but um, anyway, we, we diligently made our Pilsner Urquell from Montpelier, Vermont. And we waited and we waited and waited. And then we popped the 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 bottle and it went all over the place <laughs> and uh, when, we, when we tasted it uh uh after picking ourselves up 
uh, we realized that we were competing with Grano, not with Pilsner or Quell. <laughs> we went back to the recipe and we realized that the hops were concentrated. And we probably put, I don't know, four times more sauce hops in than Ooh. we should have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we all have those stories, right? Of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bombs. And uh, and thus uh, Green Flash Palette Wrecker was invented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, yeah, that, I think that's one thing that definitely has not changed from the 80s to today is everybody winds up with a home brewing, uh, you know, bottle bomb, something that <laughs> goes A horror off. story. Yeah, a horror story, something that goes off on you. We're always, I mean, we still haven't figured it out, but like anytime we brew something with hot peppers, it, it there's a there's a period of time, like a month in, where they become very volatile and you open them and they go everywhere but then they'll settle out again. It's just, there's a weird thing. We haven't okay. figured it out. We're not smart enough, but maybe if I still had a bottle of that sauce, check beer, maybe, maybe it's fine. Now. It might be right now. It might be right now. <laughs> like a fine wine. Yeah. That reminds me of one of the guys in our, one of our beer tasting groups. Uh, we had a homebrew event mm. and he, he had brewed a beer and, and when it when he first opened it up, he thought it tasted terrible. Didn't do anything right. So he just sort of took the case and just sort of threw it under his workbench for about three or four years. And then, you know, right before the homebrew event, he found it again, pulled it out. Like, oh, you know, I could use these, you know, bottles. I could dump this out, see how it's like. Cracked it open, tried it like you always do, just in case. <laughs> and it was fantastic. And he ended up winning the event with it. Yeah, it, it's important to note that Jack had brewed something like a, a Belgian quad. Mm-hmm. So what he was tasting very early on was an incredibly hot, incredibly you know alcoholic burn. But then yeah. just by leaving it three or four years, it you know it, it mellowed it on him, mellowed nicely. <laughs> it was actually drinkable and had like very nice raisin flavor to it. But yes, it, it yeah. was an excellent beer. Yeah, that, that, that's cool though. What what were some of your favorite styles to brew when you were brewing? Um, you know, I was of the sort of English tradition. Uh, I had uh, I was in teaching uh, way back when I first got out of college, and I'd spent a summer traveling through uh, England. And um, and my my excuse to my friends was I was doing a sociological project of going into all these pubs and just talking to people. Um, but truthfully, I was trying lots of local uh, uh, beer all across <laughs> England, and uh, and I, I fell in love with that style. I love bitters, uh, so I came back and tried, uh, you know, you know, it was, it was sort of amber uh, bitters uh, was really the style that I focused on initially, um, and then you know, then we went to the our Czech beer. <laughs> <laughs> So was that part of the reason why you got into home brewing? Because those beers were kind of hard to come by in the States or what, what, what was yeah. the catalyst for that to get into yeah, it, home brewing? Yeah, it definitely was a challenge back there. You know, in, in Vermont, um, many of us would make a run to the Quebec border and right across the border, there was a store that you could buy Molson. It was called Bredore. I don't know if they still make it any any longer, but it was um, maybe a six percent uh, flavorful, darker beer, maybe a bit more. I don't know what, how you would classify it actually today, but um, and we loved it. You know, it was like mm-hmm. the only thing we could get that was that was reasonably flavorful back then. 
Um, not not the only thing, but it was it was our preferred kind of go to beer. So um, yeah, getting getting quality uh, beer, uh, even you know European beer, was hard hard to do back then. So yeah, a lot of us started brewing beer to satisfy our our palate. <laughs> and that, and that that extends into my next question for you. I talked about how it's kind of difficult to get ingredients, uh, like you're saying the sauce hops. Who did you talk to? Where did you, where were you able to source those ingredients? Cause I assume homebrew stores weren't very common. Yeah. Was it like in the back of popular science magazine? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've forgotten the name. Uh, I'm aging myself here of the publication, but there was a publication that um, you could order from. Oh, okay. Uh, and so it was kind of mail order, uh, you know, sourcing. It was a, it, it, your local, uh, homebrew store but uh i don't know in colorado or someplace that you could order from so mm. okay. <laughs> please allow four to six weeks for delivery <laughs> yeah <laughs> right with the hovercraft kit but <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it, it i mean nowadays it's hard for us to imagine anything but ordering online and then mm. picking it up at our local you know like i think most major cities have at least one if not two you know, homebrew stores. Sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea of like the, all the work that you guys had to go through to make a homebrew back in the day. I mean, it's yep. pretty impressive. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, it very, is. Very commendable because we're super lazy and super spoiled. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> we're, we're spoiled to the point that we have a craft maltster now and we know like where to buy hops, you know, mm. that we can grow yeah. ourselves yeah. and all that kind <laughs> of shit. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, we, we endured years of being called beer snobs. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so be it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thank you for plowing the way for us. <laughs> Again, even though you said you're in Massachusetts now, you know, you spent a lot of time in Vermont, yeah. and you know, we don't really have to get into, you know, the Alchemist and Hetty Topper. I think we all know, like even leave even a little bit, a little bit of uh, Hetty Topper and Focal Banger actually made it out to Pittsburgh this year. All right. Yeah. Focal Banger is I, I love Focal Banger. Yeah. That's what I, yeah, everybody seems to love that more than, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about like the Vermont beer yeah. scene, other places people should check out? Sure. I mean, I, I live for 26 years in Stowe, just down the road from the, from the Alchemist Brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they have two, one in Waterbury and one in Stowe. Um, almost across the street from them is Idle Time Brewery. And uh, they make a really great, great products um, in the summer, spring, summer and fall. They have a back patio that is to die for. Um, it's nothing better than to sit out there and with your friends and, uh, and, and consume their, their good products. So, so that's a must, must go to place, um, uh, in Waterbury, uh, prohibition pig, um, the brewery is right out behind the restaurant and, uh, they have a f- food back there as well, but, uh, Nate's the brewer and he does really wonderful, uh, wonderful, uh, stuff. Um, so if you're in the Waterbury area, make sure you check out uh, prohibition pig. Um, towards Burlington, um, a nice uh, local brewery is uh, Stone Corral. Home brewer turned local brewer. Uh, one they wanted to create. He and his wife wanted to create the local uh, watering hole, and they said they could they could do this. They could make quality beer and create a place for for the community, and uh, and they've accomplished that. I mean, that's that's part of what I like about breweries is is obviously the beer matters. Um, but I like the atmosphere. I like the people who are behind the bar. I like to get to know the people and, uh, you know, meet so many interesting people by just uh, stopping in at Stone Corral and uh, over time. And, uh, you know, some places don't have that feel for me. It's it's like every time you stop in, 
somebody else is there uh, that you don't know. You know, it's like not the same crew of people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I tend to like those places that are very community oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of places that and it's especially like when they first start out, you have that access to the owners and it's usually, you know, just one to three people when you have that access. And as places yeah. grow, you lose, you lose kind of that hometown feel. Um, yeah. But yeah, it doesn't make the beer worse or anything. It just means, you know, they're growing and that's a, that's a, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a side effect of being bigger and better. <laughs> so yeah, yeah exactly. it's a trade off, but is there, is there any brewery that is like, Doing something that's like completely wild, something that people don't really think about a lot of, like a, like I don't know, maybe like a real Belgian specific brewery or. Uh, yeah, uh, well, in in Brattleboro, um, God, the name's escaping me. They'll, they'll shoot me if they if they hear this broadcast. Um, uh, and actually, uh, Stone Corral does a lot of uh, Belgian uh, uh, beer. They, they do a variety of things, and they're not an IPA. They, they're, their fo focus is lagers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, uh, Brett went off to, um, to Europe a, a few years ago and visited some breweries in Belgium and came back and, and really got on that, uh, that wagon. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Vermont's very IPA centric. You know, mm -hmm. every everybody does a lot of New England style IPAs and, and their variation on that theme. Um, but there are, you know, there are places that kind of, uh, you know, uh, break the mold a, a little bit. Um, there's Queen City uh, Brewery and uh, Pine Street in Burlington, and they're very traditional in their styles. They don't they don't really do IPAs. They do everything but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why I was more shooting for. Is like just because, like when I I knew halfway through the question when I said something wild and then went for Belgian traditional, <laughs> it sounds incongruous. But I mean, there's so many breweries nowadays that are so IPA focused, and then even getting into those smoothie and smoothie sour focused. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the 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 trend is you know come all the way full circle, and now we're seeing places like Notch Dovetail. Uh, golden age out here in pittsburgh that are focused on traditional so yeah i, I was just yeah <laughs> breaking new ground with a roush beer yeah exactly <laughs> smoke yeah. in a beer <laughs> so yeah actually a uh, switchback brewery does a uh, roush beer um, as does queen city mm. uh switchback did uh you know did the this this beer that it's an ale, uh, it's a, attracted a lot of people, I think, from traditional beer, big beer into the craft beer industry. Um, a lot of people, you know, my son-in-law in, from Massachusetts, his, his friends would always ask me to bring a pony cake down when I came to Massachusetts. This goes back <laughs> like, you know, eight years, 10 years ago because they couldn't get it here. Now, now they can. Now switchback is everywhere down here. But, um, you know, those products, I think there's a, there's a need for that today still. You know, everyone is so IPA-centric, but you, are we going to be attracting more people from other alcoholic beverages and big beer into the craft beer industry if all we do is hit them with hops? And, uh, and I, think, I think the answer is pretty clearly that we're not. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's not to say that experimentation and, and new interpretations of old styles isn't really important also. Yeah. And, and I can attest to that to a degree because I am a beer drinker that does not like IPAs. I am uh, not an IPA guy. Yeah. And there is nothing more frustrating than walking into a, a tap house or bar and seeing two thirds of the taps being IPAs. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got a porter, a lager, 
at a Miller Lite. Yeah, yeah, Great. exactly. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I did want to mention to you, though, because I, I had to look it up, Hermit Thrush Brewery okay. uh, in, in Brattleboro. You know, they, they went a different direction. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they do, they do sours and, uh, it's, it's, that's their theme. So, and, and or in the early days, I mean, they, I don't know how long they've been around, but you know, five, five, seven years ago, they were producing this before, okay. before a lot of people did. Who does the best Kolsch in Vermont? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow. That's a real good question. I know. It just it just came to me. I'm, I'm, we're talking traditional styles and everything, and like so, you have to say coach style. But it, you know, it, it like the, I, I've definitely had coaches grow on me, and they're they're yeah. one of my yes. they're one of my favorite yeah. styles. Probably, yeah. I mean, they're in the top ten. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I keep going back to it, but um, Stone Crow makes a really nice coach. I know I've had other ones, but I've forgotten. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fine. Stone, Stone Corral will be happy and they'll, they'll, just, they'll just own that title. <laughs> the, you already mentioned it and we, we've teased it enough, but like you've talked how you're headed over to Ireland and you're headed over to yeah. Portugal to, uh, to learn about their beer scenes. Yeah. Ireland, I think we have a pretty good idea of like what their beer scene is. We get a lot from them. Uh, we just had a Smitics on last show, so we don't have to talk too much about them if you don't want to. But like Portugal is the one that interests me the most. Yeah. Um, we, I don't think we've like seen really any beer from them come over this way. The closest I can get you is uh, in Pittsburgh, we had a brewery called Enix, mm-hmm. and it actually had roots be- from the brewer uh, coming from Spain. And he had like he had kind of started the beer scene in 2010 in Spain and then came back to, you know, Pittsburgh where he's originally from. But uh, like what like what are the focuses of the Portuguese beer scene? Yeah, so I'm still learning um, The my wife and I are going there for 10 days and we're not going there uh, to to visit craft breweries. But on the sly, I started checking out all of the craft breweries in Lisbon and in the Algarve Pharaoh, uh, where we're going. And I have a list now. So I started reaching out to some. The, the Algarve uh, Rock uh, Brewery contacted me, came, you know, came back to me from my email the other day and said, hey, when you're in town, uh, come on by. We'll drink some beer and talk. Um, what I see a sort of a, a two, two categories. One are sort of traditional pails, IPAs, uh, uh, lagers, um, and, and then others are much more European centric. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why. I don't, I don't know if it's the background of the brewers or, or exactly what's what's driving their their uh, interpretation of styles um, or what the market, you know, maybe it's the market is telling them what they're what they're wanting. Um, so I'll know more after this trip, but, uh, you know, I'm reaching out to a few, I don't want to occupy our trip with visits to breweries, I'm sure, I'm sure they're fine with walking around six packs or whatever. So, <laughs> so we might, we might have to have a follower up report report with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Just, uh, just get more into it. Uh, was there any, like, just like one defining style that maybe stood out? Cause like we talked about the Italian Pilsner is like a little bit hoppier, you know, there's Czech pills. Belgians obviously have their thing going. Yeah. But is there any like one definitive style of Portugal? 
No, I don't think so. I think it's pretty varied from what I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it depends. I've only been looking at, uh, you know, I was surprised at, at the number of crack breweries and we're only going to be in two parts of Port Portugal. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so I didn't look at other regions so much. Um, but, uh, you know, some, someone local at a local brewery told me you traveled there and he said, you know, he didn't find very much. And I'm not sure when he went, but he didn't look very hard because there's a lot of crack breweries <laughs> in, in Portugal these days. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just an interesting thing. Like, I think there's still like, there's still a lot of emerging art markets for yes. craft beer. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, we have, um, we have another brewery out here in Pittsburgh, two phrase, and the owners actually spend a lot of time in South Korea. Like they lived there for a time. So they were, they saw the emergence of craft beer in South Korea. Mm. So that, you know, they have, you know, again, I don't think South Korea has a specific style to themselves either, but they're willing to try a lot of European styles, a lot of American styles and kind of had, you know, just put out a portfolio and see what people enjoy. So yeah. that's cool though. Let me say, we get back to these beers. Sure. We can get back to the ones we're drinking. All right. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll go first because that's the kind of person I am. Uh, once again, I was drinking the Bell's Bright White. And I, and I felt earlier in this segment, I kind of gave them a bit of a disservice by jumping on Allagash real quick when you asked that question, Steve. <laughs> but uh, to be perfectly honest, if either one of those was handed to me, I'd be happy with it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think you did them a disservice. Like you could ask Allagash White against things that aren't even in the style. This is true. Like, you can put Allagash White against a bunch of different stouts, and Allagash White is still the better beer. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, either one is you know a good beer. I would I would be and am happy with either one of them. Yeah, it's just a good trigger. Uh, I saw this and it's like, well, Larry Bell, but he's retiring, so you know a little bit of a shout out to him on this on this episode. Yeah. So we talked about him a little bit last week. So have one of his his beers on this week but yeah good beer good drinker i'll have it again i got no beef with it sure <laughs> uh just to revisit i'm also drinking the stone boot stout a beer that i've had plenty of different iterations of in the past but i don't know that we featured on the show per se but yeah it's a it's a fantastic beer um one of my favorite things was pat's uh in moon the 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 irish pub they commonly yes. have boot stout on draft and you can get a full pint of you know, 11 nightmare fuel <laughs> go with your reuben and that's fantastic yes it and, is and, and and that's kind of like how this beer drinks it's it's a lot more um not savory but it's less sweet and it's much more just like a thick mouthfeel uh coffee the not hard coffee but it's like you know a little a little bit of bitter you know i said is it more bitter or is it more roasty no it's more like in the middle oh yeah it it, it doesn't go too far in any direction that's why mm -hmm. i didn't want to say savory i don't want to say bitter it's definitely not sweet you know mm -hmm. in comparison to a lot of the goofy ass stuff you can get <laughs> but it also sounds like it's not not a hot beer right it's, it's you know a quarter of it is barrel aged Right. Or it's been aged for a quarter. We don't know yet. <laughs> so so comparatively to last week's Guinness mint chocolate barrel thing, mm -hmm. like where that barrel was really, really hot. And yeah. yeah. And it was like super bitter and all that. None of those notes show up in this. This is a lot more even drinking, and that makes it super dangerous at 11.5%. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, 
yeah yeah i don't know whatever your thoughts on stone and you know the uh, greg cook over there and you, you know your thoughts about him the beer is still good and it still even drinks and you know <laughs> it's still well made <laughs> sorry <laughs> so greg how about you how you doing over there with your beer i'm doing just fine i'm getting close to the bottom so have you, have you been able to see or notice anything now that things have kind of warmed up a little bit? I know with uh, some of those darker beers that the, the flavor can kind of change as the temperature changes as well. Anything revealing itself? Well, it's um, it, it's a nice balance. It's, it's like uh, sometimes these have too much sweetness uh, at the end and this doesn't. It just you know, has a really nice aftertaste, which I, I look for. So I think it, it, it's different than some of the Irish red ales that I've had. In the, in the past right on yeah cool yeah i mean like i said we had the sminix last week it's fine that's a fine irish ale irish red ale as well so mm -hmm. it's good stuff but so let's uh let's take a quick break let's reload mm -hmm. uh we'll be back with segment three mm -hmm. we'll do something we'll we do have something. a game it's a game we do yeah yeah <laughs> so All right. that we will be right back are you tired of watching the same old awesome movies? Are B-movies more your style? Then the folks over at They Called This A Movie have you covered. Join us every Thursday as we review the worst of the worst in sci-fi, action, comedy, and more. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean at theycalledthisamovie.podbean.com. They Called This A Movie, testing the strength of friendships, one terrible movie at a time. The 30-second or 30-minute delay is over. Welcome back. Still to the Hop Nation USA podcast. I'm here. Steve's here. Greg's Hello. here. Nobody's left. Nope. It's funny. It's funny you said 30 minute delay because the, I was talking to Tyler at Creekside the other week mm -hmm. when I was picking up some beers, as yeah. you would at Creekside. <laughs> as you should. Yeah, as you should too. But he was he was talking about how like most of the podcasts he listens to, like ours and weekly recap. They're they're all based on his drive time. Okay. So, so he, he does, it is sometimes a 30 minute or, you oh. know, or even more because he'll, you know, he'll listen to a segment, get the work, leave work, listen to a segment. Man, that's, that would drive me crazy though. Cause I, I would have to, have to just keep listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I have to consume all at once. I, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, but I'm a pig with no self-control. So <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. So since we are pigs with no self-control, mm -hmm. let's have another beer. Hurrah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go first because I'm not breaking that stereotype that I just put out. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I'm still. Wait, was uh, this a plan? Was this a plan to have three beers? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In a night oh, yeah. together? Is that oh, yeah. This is, uh, oh, yeah. This is always <laughs> us. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, we don't force our guests to do this because we know our <laughs> guests have, you know, jobs and stuff to do. Like I said, I'm freelance. I can do as I please, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I am loaded up on another beer and that beer is also very big. And uh, you know, it's also part of cleanup duty. I am drinking the 2021 version of the grist house, Siberian highway. Oh, all right. Well, I know not to talk to you tomorrow morning. Hell yeah. There is no morning tomorrow. <laughs> I will be waking up at one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, canned in May 2021. Uh, this was something I had every intention of drinking, at, you know, around Christmas time. 
but the old roan dog delayed my plans. So I, uh, I'm now having to clean it up from other time. <laughs> I, so this I, is your, your mini revenge tour. A little bit. Yeah. I, I still have another one in the fridge because, you know, you buy two as always mm-hmm. get one, get one to uh, age and one to uh, drink. Well, this is my one to drink and I still have one to age, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, we've featured Siberian highway in the past as well. Mm-hmm. It was on our first episode, or not our, our it was on our first episode with uh, Grist House. Yes, I believe it was episode 38. You got it right on the head. That's amazing. I'm totally <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I'm totally impressed. <laughs> uh, but the 2021 version is a 10.8% stout. So only slightly dialing back on the goose juice, Uh, but specific to this version, which I think would make it different from the version that we drank 2017, 2018, whatever uh, it is aged 12 months in Buffalo trace bourbon barrels. Mm -hmm. So there's no question of what a quarter age is. (laughs) It's 12 months. (laughs) You got that. And is conditioned on cacao nibs, and Indian Mysore coffee that they picked up from the Allegheny Coffee and Tea Company. So, and then there's a bunch of other things in it: vanilla beans, cinnamon, cascabel peppers, and lactose. Huh. So, yeah, there's a lot going on with this beer, uh, but it is a fantastic drinking beer. It does have a different flavor profile for, from the Woot Stout. Mm-hmm. I would say this one, it, um, it's a little more leaning towards that bitter and roast. But okay. also, but it, that that makes sense with the coffee in it, right? But also, it's also not a sweet, like you know, it's not a sweet dessert pastry per se. Mm-hmm. It is a stout through and through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Adam, what are you on? So, I am I am actually uh, going to continue on my wheat kick here. Uh, this comes from Voodoo, and this is their White Magic of the Sun. Mm. Uh, this is a wheat ale on on spices which includes peppercorn, which is kind of neat, uh, coriander, juniper berries, orange peel, 7.2% on the ABV. So I, I am going up. I'm go- still yeah. climbing that mountain for some reason. I don't know why I didn't front load, but here we are. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's got a nice orange look to it. Uh, third time's the charm, poured it out. Nice fluffy head on it again. So apparently this is a, a fluffy head episode for me. I'm all right with that. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is just a, a good drinker. We've had stuff from Voodoo before. Uh, they are expanding wildly. I know that they plan on having at least one brew pub out in Vegas as well this year. Oh, so, that's right. They did yeah, announce Yeah, that. they're doing yeah. the thing out there. Doing so, the thing. Yeah, uh, they, they're expanding all the way out into Vegas, but they are a Western Pennsylvania brewery. Mm-hmm. So we're happy to have them on the show like right now. Yeah, right now. (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I've got this beer in my glass. Cool. Yeah. sounds like a good one. I mean, voodoo, they're far more known for their stouts because they They always go to like rare festivals and things like that. (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're whales. So (laughs) (laughs) put a little more stank on that, Steve. (laughs) I don't love every part of the culture. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've had at least 27% as far as beers go. And let me start talking about the culture. <laughs> oh no, the filter fell off. <laughs> oh no. no, no, kidding. Um, but yeah, eh, cool. Uh, Greg, uh, I assume you're still enjoying your Irish red. 
Um, I'm back to my uh, drier January. Okay. Glasses, <laughs> glasses empty, <laughs> and I did not choose to refill. So, <laughs> what can you See, tell you're us? The, yeah, you're the smart one of the group. Yeah. Well, what can you tell us about Massachusetts tap water? <laughs> What's the profile? <laughs> Is it soft? <laughs> okay. Well, it is segment three, and that means it's time that we play a game because that's what we usually do. Mm-hmm. I have a game, and I don't remember if I invented this one yet or not, so it might be new, <laughs> but I, I did make it specifically in mind for Greg because we are talking about brewing, we're talking about the business of beer, and a lot of uh, what the course deals with is you know, you also deal with the trends in beer, you know, with everybody who's involved in that course. So, what we wanted to do is last week we spent a lot of time bullshitting about the trends in beer acting like we know something (laughs) when our involvement with the business stops at the cash register. So uh, we wanted to kind of put it more to somebody who might know a little bit more than us. We hope so, but we're going to play a game called buy sell. And what I'm going to do, Greg, is I'm going to give you two trends that are kind of, you know, uh, on the emergence I feel mm-hmm. within the uh, craft beer scene and you tell us which one you're more willing to buy and which one you're willing to sell. Which one do you think is on the come up that you think, you know, more people should get behind and which one would you not so much get into, you know, that mm-hmm. you, you don't have as uh, bright, bright an outlook for. So uh, with that, very simply, we'll get into this one. I think it involved, I think this caused a lot of engagement last week. So that's why I'm bringing it up again. <laughs> we, we spent time talking about NFTs and how there's a number of uh, beer companies that have been getting into NFTs, including Budweiser. Um, we're not fans of them, <laughs> but if you are, <laughs> it's your thing. You can be. But uh, we're, we're wondering, do you think it would be more, uh, would you be more willing to buy into NFTs or something else we talked about was there is a company called Swigger. And what they do is they provide uh, augmented reality experiences that are tied to the packaging of beer cans. So you essentially put your phone up to the beer can and it'll show you like an animation or a video from the brewer or something else that's tied to that specific packaging. Uh, do, do you see NFTs or augmented reality being more of a future for marketing? Hmm. Well, um, truthfully, I, I have not followed NFTs closely. Um, I have a feeling it's not surprising that uh, Budweiser is experimenting with them. Uh, the big guys probably will. Um, I'm not sure uh, our audience of craft brewers have the wherewithal. Uh, but they're, they're, they're trying to get from 2,000 to 2,500 barrels a year. They're not, they're not <laughs> worrying about how to do an NFT. <laughs> um, so I, wouldn't, I, I don't think I would be uh, particularly interested in that for, for small craft breweries. Um, I think the, the augmented uh, marketing tool that you mentioned, I don't know the details around how, how it launches, um, but that could be interesting. Um, I mean, every, every brewery wants to engage people in different ways. And 
tell their story in different ways. And if that's a cost-effective uh, way to get the get the word out, tell a story about their brewery or about about their beer, um, then that could be kind of interesting. I, I think we would agree. I mean, it's kind of what we said last week. Yes. <laughs> not, I mean, not that we really matter on this, but uh, we talked about as to add a little more context to that augmented reality. Uh, we mentioned how like uh, yards brewing out of Philadelphia is always already kind of signed up for that. So they're, they're, I would say they're larger than most craft breweries, but they, you know, they're still much smaller than a Budweiser or a Miller and that it's something that's already attracted them to it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah yep. yeah and, and the other side of that is the cost of entry for the consumer side of things it's an app it'll cost you what 99 cents at, at worst if that it, it, you know the apps might be free right as yeah. compared to what an nft would cost from ab InBev is what was it 499 499 for a right to purchase a randomized you know collector's card that you can't hold right so <laughs> right i don't like beer that much yeah oh man i'd have to drink an awful lot more <laughs> <laughs> how many cans do you have to turn in in order to afford a, a sweepstakes <laughs> nft from budweiser <laughs> yeah purely from the brewery standpoint the cost of entry for the customer is way better with the augmented reality mm -hmm. that's a no-brainer yeah yeah all right. So pretty obvious augmented reality wins on that one. I, that's why I put it at the top. It's an easy one. <laughs> it's an easy one because that one Adam and I already knew. Fucking NFTs are crap. <laughs> but, uh, this, this one, though, I think you'll be able to give us more insight on um, is uh, emerging alternatives to beer. And that uh, we've already seen kind of the pop up of cannabis uh, focused drinks. And we're seeing them in a number of states, but they're not, they're obviously not legal throughout the US. Uh, but the other thing we were talking about, and it's more, uh, it's much more of a newer, more emergent field is mushroom based, not necessarily, and, and not the psilocybin ones, but just, you know, using mushrooms rather than grain or, you know, an additive to grain. Uh, do you see that? Which one do you see as a more, um, profitable or more common going forward? Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the laws being so different across the U.S., which is a challenge. Um, it's hard to get a, a regional or national market for a cannabis product um, because of that. Uh, I think Canada is probably going to lead the way here. And, uh, and then th there's a cannabis seltzer company that I know a fair amount of it's local, they were just acquired. I think you're two years into operation. My daughter and son-in-law actually were investors in the company, um, and they had lots of uh, lots of offers to to acquire them. Uh, they make a great product. You know, I think the whole cannabis, you know, how how it plays out with beer um, in, in the future is going to be very interesting. I mean, obviously, there's a, a growing audience of people who are interested in lower. Um, calorie lower uh, carb uh, products. Uh, they're much more health conscious consumers today uh, of alcoholic beverages. You know, I think some things like seltzers, I mean, they went off the chart. Everybody was drinking seltzers down here on boats uh, two years, three years ago, right? <laughs> you know, my, my son and his, you know, his 25 and all his friends, they were drinking seltzers. They weren't drinking beer. Um, but that sort of went away. 
and and it's obviously didn't crash entirely, but um, it's not the it's not the thing that it was a few years ago, and uh, it seems like the, uh, consumers are always looking for the next thing, um, you know this this uh, hop water. Uh, hop tea kind of market is interesting. You get you get the flavor of hops, but you don't get the alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think the non-alcoholic beers. It's, you know, I haven't tried Lagunitas. It's a hoppy refresher. Certainly, have had some of the uh, Athletica uh, products, but I think that that's a, a trend to to pay a lot more attention to because you know more and more people for different reasons. Um, are going to be looking to consume a beer-like product, but not with the alcohol. Okay. So, so are you more? So you're saying you're more leaning towards cannabis as a future yeah. alternative rather than like the mushrooms? I think so. I, I think I, I would see mushrooms as being a very, very niche uh, market. Um, but mm-hmm. hey, you know who, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It just like when we were speaking, when we were talking about the mushrooms, uh, mushroom beers last week, they they fall more into that uh, health conscious of what you were yeah. talking about. Yeah, of like being like you th- a lot of them are less than a lot of them actually would be considered non-alcoholic, but like they're that more health conscious and like yeah. provide different flavor profiles, whereas. The, the one thing I didn't bring up about the cannabis beers is something that we've experienced from there's a company called Two Roots and I believe they're California based and they do they do THC uh, products. But then because the way they the process, the, the process of making it re- uh, requires de-alcoholization, they actually sell their non-alcoholic versions as well across the country. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah, I think that might benefit a lot of these thc based companies first mm-hmm. because they can put out a non-alcoholic version as well as a thc version so and, and their hellas wasn't bad so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i would agree that the cannabis or thc based beer is definitely the buy of the two compared to the mushroom and for one very simple reason it's a lot easier to to you know to talk to Joe consumer about what it is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to explain what a mushroom, you know, you have to explain what a mushroom beer is compared yeah, right. to what a cannabis beer is. Yeah. You know, yeah. they already know what it is. They already know what cannabis is. They already know what THC is. You don't have to go down that route. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you're standing there, you know, at the shelf, THC versus mushroom, what the hell is a mushroom beer? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also have to make the distinction. Is it actually like a mushroom beer or is it a psilocybin beer? Right. Which yeah. I don't know well, of any of those that exist, but I think they do. So <laughs> yeah. Warehouse rave or Whole Foods. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Portabella or woo. <laughs> All right. I, another one I had. And it's not necessarily a trend, but it it might become a trend as going forward. We talked a couple weeks ago about uh, the King and Crown or Cr- Crown and Criminals. What was it? The company that bought Ballast Point that like didn't do anything with Ballast Point, and then <laughs> that they, says it all right there. I know. And then they and then then they just recently acquired the Saint Archer uh, Brewing Space, mm-hmm. but something i was just wondering do you think it's do you think it's more likely that more people are going to be buying up the brand recognition that you would get from a ballast point or something we've seen here in pittsburgh is spaces that were formerly 
breweries getting turned into different breweries. So people are just buying the building. So this is this is a brand versus building. Do you, do you yeah, see it's yeah. do you see it more profitable for somebody to buy a brand and then try to build the brand again or buy a building and make it something new and something their own? Uh boy. Um I can tell you what I'm more interested in. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I don't know what people with with big bucks will do. I think I think the band the brand piece. I mean that was a billion dollar flop, yeah. right? And so mm-hmm. I, I think I think that that wasn't that wasn't a good recipe for people to follow. Uh, and not to say that people won't try to do it, but um, you know I, what I see is is people being very local, hyper local. And it's not, it's not to say that they won't buy regional or even national brands, um, but there's a, a strong tendency to buy the local. And if you're, if you're traveling somewhere, I mean, just think, you know, myself and I travel, I, I, I do not buy anything that's regional or, or national, definitely not national. I'm, I'm looking for the very, very hyper local products. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that makes it hard for somebody to take a, a well-known brand and then, you know, sort of use that to, to kickstart a new, a new business. Cause a lot of people just see it as corporate beer. You know, it's just, you know, it's not, you know, when people are buying breweries for a billion, a billion dollars, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> um, but I do, I do think that the rebranding of existing spaces, you know, taking breweries, you know, I've actually met with some, some uh, investor groups that are interested in doing that sort of identifying breweries that are tired and, and need a need, need new blood, new, new energy, new, a refresh. Um, and, uh, you know, put, put a number of those together into a business plan and, uh, and, and, and restart, uh, the, the breweries, maybe, maybe in the same space, maybe in different spaces. I, I see that as being quite viable. Cool. So yeah, buying into buildings, yeah, not brands. <laughs> don't don't try to make green flash work again. Don't try to make, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Like even this this acquisition of the Saint Orchard space that Crowns and Criminal did, and you know, perhaps Ballast Point is coming back. I don't see it selling as well again because, like you were just saying, of all the hyper local, like when we're here, we buy local. And like when we travel, I'm not looking to buy something that I can get here. So <laughs> right. <laughs> I got bells at home. Why would I get bells <laughs> elsewhere? So you're kind of in that, they, that Valley, you know, you're not a full national brand. You're not local. You're kind of in a no man's land mm-hmm. with yeah. those brands. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I have another one. And this one is more to my own tastes <laughs> and it, it's actually it's actually a three-way of of things are you more likely to buy into schwartz beers black ipas or roush beers which one's which one's the big one on the come up what should we put our cash into <laughs> so roush beers schwartz beers and black ipas black, black ipas well i mean it's hard it's hard to bet against anything IVA these days, unfortunately, in a way, um, uh, we've gotten terribly conservative. Uh, I don't know if you read the piece that Mike Kallenberger did years ago, or about three years ago around how, how beer drinkers today are, are not the creative, uh, 
drinkers of, of, you know, the early days of craft beer, when they're searching out for, for new products, they tend to walk into a, to a brewery and what do they order? IPA. What do you get for IPA? Um, So for that reason, black IPAs could get, could have traction. Uh, It's a new, new version of an IPA. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I would, I would say Schwartz beer. Um, Maybe that's just my own personal preference. That's, you know, sometimes that doesn't work in terms of a business plan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not going to say you're wrong. And I think, <laughs> well, see, because we're talking, we're talking a lot about this because, well, one, Roush beers are just, they are probably one of my favorite styles. I mean, okay. I think my favorite beer ever is the Schlinkerla. So, um, but in Pittsburgh, we saw kind of a resurgence of uh, Schwartz beers in that we had like maybe, six or seven from different breweries within just like that same month span of like everybody was pouring out a Schwartz beer. And we're like, Oh, okay. I mean, sure. We're into it, but yeah, we hardly see these. Um, yeah. And then you're, as you were just talking about the, the, the whole thing with the IPAs is like, we saw a beer from great lakes, uh, Nosferatu for the longest time. It was not, it was not an IPA. It was bitter as hell. And it was like, it was just a super bitter red ale, but they rebranded it as a red IPA to sell more. And then we saw the emergence of the cold IPA because <laughs> I, because just the phrase IPA sells. So, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Maybe black IPAs is probably the way to go, but man, those other two are great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I and unfortunately, I Steve, I think Roush beer is going to come in third place on those because Always I think they're, <laughs> and, yeah. I, I, and, and I'm saying that on a on a macro consumer scale mm. rather than on a personal basis, simply because I think there will be enough people out there that don't like the smoke. Yeah, yeah. how come Lenny you want to drink cigarettes? Damn it, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me ask you a question. Yeah. So, have you had a really exceptional cream ale adam is the one that asked that yes and i'm trying to remember the name of it and it wasn't jenny cream Although <laughs> i'll drink that anytime anywhere you know i'll you know i'll put on my trash pants it's okay yeah was it are you thinking local or it we was had, a local okay because didn't we have one from flying machine out of north carolina that was not bad uh, no, but I, I know that Necromancer has just put out a cream ale mm-hmm. that has gotten some really good reviews on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the, that's the fun thing about Pittsburgh is we are definitely dabbling in all of the styles. Yes. So, yeah. I, th- I think Pittsburgh kind of realized that, yeah, there's a lot of people who do good IPAs out this way. And we have people that have come from like the Trillium background. Mm-hmm. to bring those new england ipas out this way but we also have like a lot of traditional and a lot of oh. uh here we go <laughs> yes uh uh dancing gnome actually put one out they they did oh. a collab with uh dissolver ds ds oh, that one yeah, yeah yeah yes uh their prime velocity oh yeah that uh that came out a month or two ago and that one ooh, yeah i was a big fan of that one yeah you like that one a lot mm-hmm yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it strikes me as a as a style that a has sort of been lost, um, but also could draw many people from big beer into the craft scene. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I wish I wish craft breweries would focus a, a bit more on 
those types of beers that would get people in their tap rooms. Yeah. The one thing I like about cream ales is you can't hide behind anything. Yeah. You know, it is a, it is a very bare bones beer. So you have to have your craft on point. You have to know what you're doing to be able to, to create a good one. Yeah. I would, I would say like cream ale adjacent. The other thing we saw a couple of in Pittsburgh was Kentucky commons. Mm-hmm. People were making a couple couple Kentucky commons. So yeah. Yeah. Another beer you can't really hide behind, but like yes. Mon- Mondays put out a good one. And then uh, necromancer put out one as well. Like I, I assume it was good. I didn't drink it, but like mm-hmm. necromancer just does good beer. <laughs> if, you, if you, if you ever get to Ottawa, if you ever have a reason to get to Ottawa mm-hmm. and go see the prime minister or something, um, uh, <laughs> there's a brewery, small brewery there. They, they took a downtown building and renovated it. It's a beautiful space. And it's called Floral Hall Brewing. And they make an English ordinary bitter that Ooh. is unbelievably good. And it's clocks in at 3.5%. Hmm. Now, oh, a lot of people okay. say, how in heck can you get good flavor out of the 3.5%? And it, they, they accomplished it. Talking about, I, would, you know, I skilled, do say that. Skilled brewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could drink three of them. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't trust anything under four. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, well go to ottawa <laughs> okay, cool yeah. uh, you know if we have a we have a pens versus sends game we'll go up there <laughs> <laughs> all right i got one more just uh and it's kind of looking at like the 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 production of things but we we keep hearing a lot about the can shortage out there and there's also a lot of people who aren't able to transfer over to bottles but if you were a new brewery again this is a three-way would you go for a mobile canning line? Would you go for a bottling system or would you try something new and try to do beer in a bag? <laughs> well, I've had beer in a bag in China and I'm not, oh, a big they do beer in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. The, it might be the beer that's in the bag. That's a problem, <laughs> but, uh, um, boy, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think, I think the bottles, uh, have, you know, that ship has sailed for lots of different reasons. I don't know if I would invest and go in that direction. Uh, I wouldn't do the bags. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not uh, up on what the supply chain is looking like. I know it's not, not promising in the short term, but um, is it, is it like everything else, furniture and everything else you want to buy just caught on a boat somewhere? Mm -hmm. Um, Or is this something that's going to, you know, uh, change dramatically in the next six months or a year. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I think I would still stick with cans and, and, uh, you know, whether you buy your own, uh, uh, canning system or you use, uh, the, the mobile system, you just got to run the numbers to figure out which is best. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're, we're just always trying to sell beer in a bag cause we've never had it. <laughs> we, we want to be the first ones who called it. <laughs> Well, you can go to Qingdao and you can buy your bag. Oh yeah, Adam, we're going to China. <laughs> All right, I'm in. <laughs> cool. All right, well, yeah, that's kind of how you play uh, buy sell. You just get somebody who's an expert to tell you what's what, and then <laughs> you agree with them and say, "All right." <laughs> I don't think anybody's putting their money on the line tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm looking for bagged Roush beers, and nobody can stop me. <laughs> See, when you get that obnoxious podcast money, you can do that. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's come back to the beers that we were drinking, though. Uh, Adam, go ahead. What do you have? 
All right. How, uh, how do you feel about it? Oh, once again, it was the white magic of the sun by Voodoo. Yeah, I like it. Uh, it does uh, take a wheat beer and kind of zhuzh it up a little bit. It's got that coriander. It's got that orange peel. You know, I I like it. Uh, 7.2. You can't drink eight of them unless you really want to. Wouldn't necessarily <laughs> recommend it. Uh, but no, I, I like it. And honestly, it was kind of a nice change of pace from that bright white from Bell's. Uh, because that was a, a right down the middle weep. This one, you know, Voodoo was kind of able to play around with the style a little bit, but not be obnoxious about it. There are times where you could take a style and just, you know, turn it on its head and it'd be bad. But they didn't do that with this. This kind of, you know, stayed in the lane, so to speak. And it worked really well. So, yeah, props to Voodoo on this one. It's a good one. Cool. You know, it's funny that you just said you know all that about like you know, the 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 bells is down the middle, mm-hmm. and the voodoo was able to play with the style because I feel the exact same way about the Siberian Highway. Mm-hmm. The Woot Stout is right down the middle, but the Siberian Highway by Grist House is it, it plays a lot more with the style. It's a lot stronger on the bitter and the roast, and like even after drinking like back to back (laughs) you know i can still i I can still taste like a lot of the difference between the two styles Mm -hmm. and between the two beers you know i do taste a little bit more of the barrel on the siberian highway even after what is it seven months now because this was Mm -hmm. this was canned in may so yeah like seven eight months sitting in the fridge it this one still retains a lot of the barrel and it still has a little bit of the hot but not too much. It still goes down really smooth. It's yeah, it's a really, really good beer. It's, I mean, it's always been one of Chris house's best beers. So, Oh yes. One of many hard to argue against, (laughs) but yeah. Uh, Great beer. Glad I got it in. Uh, I still have one more. So that's fantastic. Maybe I'll drink that in May. (laughs) (laughs) It's an anniversary beer. One year from buying it. Yeah. Hurrah. (laughs) But uh, uh, Greg, Thanks for coming on our show tonight. We want to give you this time to plug anything that you want to, whether it be social media, uh, any any websites, uh, anything that people can find you or the University of Vermont in your uh, uh, business class on. Yeah, uh, people can find us at go.uvm.edu slash beer or on Facebook. It's at UVM Business of Craft Beer. Pretty, pretty simple. Um, on Twitter at UVM Craft Beer. Uh, so all of those are ways to get to our various pages. Yeah, go check those out. I, I mean, if you're, I know we have a few people who listen who are in the stages of possibly getting into brewing. We've met a few people over the summer who are thinking about opening mm-hmm. up a space. And the costs of opening up one of those spaces is huge. <laughs> you're, you're, I've seen, but I've seen the cost of your course and it's, you know, it, it's not that much compared to what you'll spend opening up the entire brewery. So you can just roll it into your entire loan. Really? If you, if, if and you that's a good to. return on investment. It's a good return on investment. Cause you learn how to actually run a business. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people need that. We've seen some breweries open that do not have the, the business acumen behind them. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's a good way to get your foot in your door. And I think it's also a good thing to put into your kind of uh, repertoire when opening a business, because the, I'm not saying the market is saturated. I don't like saying that. I think there's still plenty of room for breweries out there, 
but you have to not suck as a business when you open. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have to you have to hit the ground running uh, these days and mm-hmm. all facets of the of the of the business. And uh, I think that's you know essentially what people learn from this. You know, they may come in with preconceptions of how they're going to go about it, and their you know their cousin's going to be the marketing director, and then they realize, ah, my cousin doesn't really know very much about marketing. <laughs> you know, my wife's a graphic artist; she's going to do labels, and I'm the labels kind of suck. I'm sorry, I've got to get some professional to do this, and you know, it goes on and on and on, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and then you get your business plan uh, written. Uh, you can, not everybody does. Um, and then evaluated, you know, critiqued by our some of our instructors. Uh, oh, so these that's great. You know, these are these are consultants who are working with breweries all over the place, and the, you know, for the forty two hundred dollars or whatever it is, people in the industry also get a get a twenty percent discount. So um, hmm. uh, we give them a, a big a big you know credit for being in the industry and wanting to come back and learn more. And so it's not a very huge investment for the kind of uh, support that you get. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Well, hey, thanks again, Greg, for coming on. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Talking to you. Yeah, it's been yeah. great, great fun. Yeah, best, best of luck in Portugal and finding something, and maybe you okay. can bring, you can find a gem in Portugal. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> let everybody know about. Okay. Uh, but if you want to find us on social media, all you have to do is search Hop Nation USA. That'll get you Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want to listen to brand new episodes of the Hop Nation USA podcast every Friday, as you should, then search Hop Nation USA in your favorite podcatcher like Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We're on all of those. Anything that starts in pod or ends in cast, we're on every platform. So if you're on any of those, leave a five-star review because... We are a six beer bag show, but they only let us use five. And that's a bigger crime than me having to travel all the way to China to have beer in a bag. And then it's supposedly not even that good. It's an expensive, <laughs> expensive drink. I tell you by the time you get there. Damn it. <laughs> Sometimes it's worth it, though. You just got to do it. But uh, thanks again to Greg. Yeah, and thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. We'll be back next week with something new. Take care. See you. Goodbye.